This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn more about Reynolds' online retailing approach by visiting reyrey.com forward slash retail anywhere. That's R-U-I-R-U-I.com slash retail anywhere. Welcome to Daily Drive for August 4th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Toyota Profit Plunges. Lucid slashes production plans, Uber looks to develop robo-trucking, and a look at U.S. auto sales and when they might improve. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Toyota is still in the grip of supply chain chaos. The world's largest automaker reported a sharp drop in profits in its fiscal first quarter, though it bumped up its full-year forecast a little because of the U.S. dollar's relative strength against the yen. While Toyota faced production interruptions that dented sales, it also helped its suppliers shoulder the burden of soaring prices for raw materials, such as steel and aluminum. As a result, operating profit tumbled 42% to about $4.25 billion in the April to June period. The rough quarter starts a challenging time after a fiscal year in which Toyota smashed earnings records. In the year ended March 31st, Toyota achieved all-time highs for revenue, operating profit, and net income. Luxury EV startup Lucid is cutting its production outlook again for this year. The company said it delivered only 679 vehicles in the second quarter, up from 360 in the first three months of the year. It managed to build about 1,400 of its air sedans in the first half of the year. It originally aimed to make about 20,000 of them this year before cutting the forecast to 12 to 14,000 in February. It now expects to make 6 to 7,000. Excluding interest, taxes, and certain other items, the company lost $414 million in line with analyst estimates. Lucid said it still has $4.6 billion in cash and near cash to fund the company well into 2023. The loss and the production cut were announced Wednesday after the close of trading. Lucid stock fell about 10% this morning. Uber, the ride-hailing company that once hung its business strategy on self-driving cars, now sees autonomous trucks as a more market-ready business opportunity. The company's Uber Freight division laid out its vision in a blog post and accompanying white paper. The unit suggested that autonomous trucking represents a solution to the persistent professional driver shortage and other supply chain obstacles. Starting with trucks that drive from hub to hub on highways, rather than navigating complicated city streets, simplifies the work for automated driving systems. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety has updated its side impact crash test to make it more powerful and challenging. In a recent test of seven vehicles, it classifies as midsize, Only the Subaru Outback station wagon got a good rating. The other vehicles were all sedans. The Hyundai Sonata and Volkswagen Jetta were rated acceptable. Honda Accord was rated marginal. And the Chevrolet Malibu, Nissan Altima, and Toyota Camry were rated poor. All seven earned good ratings on the previous version of the test. The test now uses a 4,200-pound barrier that strikes the vehicle at 37 miles per hour as opposed to a 3,300-pound barrier striking a vehicle at 31 miles per hour. Jamie, this Insurance Institute for Highway Safety test, all seven of these vehicles on the old test got at least a good rating. Now, should the Chevrolet Malibus and the Nissan Altimas and the Toyota Camrys of the world 
should they be alarmed with the poor rating? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the good rating means a lot and they all worked hard to achieve it on the previous test. And I know sometimes it feels like, you know, oh, these companies just changed the test to uh, make it harder and make themselves relevant. But, you know, vehicles on the road have gotten bigger. People drive faster. We've seen in the fatality statistics, it's just gotten more dangerous on the roads. So cars have to be better able to deal in that environment, protect the occupants, even with bigger vehicles driving faster. They've got to do what it takes. I'm sure they will do what it takes to get back to a good rating on the new test. Well, July auto sales were down pretty much across the board, though Ford saw a nice rebound. What do the results tell us about the state of the industry? Michelle Krebs, executive analyst for Cox Automotive, explains next on Daily Drive. Customer wants to sign documents remotely? No problem. Customer wants to provide documentation and their driver's license in person? No problem. Customer wants to have their vehicle delivered? No problem. There are a lot of steps to complete a car deal, but what happens when customers start online and end in store, or vice versa? You need a seamless, consistent process to start work and finalize every vehicle purchase, no matter where the customer is. Chris Walsh, president of Reynolds & Reynolds, explains how. Retail Anywhere is, is powered by the retail management system. So the retail management system is the engine you know, that kind of makes this all work. And it's based on the premise that customers can be anywhere, right? They can be in-store, they can be at home, they can be a hybrid of both. It doesn't really matter, but it's a single process of interacting with that customer. And that's, you know, really important to be consistent in that way. And it's only achievable through a single system like the retail management system. Regardless of where the customer is buying from and how, Retail Anywhere focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this holistic approach to digital retailing, visit rayray.com forward slash retail anywhere. That's reyrey.com slash retail anywhere. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. While it seems like most assembly plants are running full speed, auto sales continue to lag behind last year's results. Now with rising interest rates and sagging consumer confidence, what is the path for auto sales to return to normal? I spoke with Michelle Krebs, executive analyst for Cox Automotive, about the U.S. light vehicle market. Here's our conversation. Michelle Krebs, welcome to Daily Drive. Thank you for having me. This is my first time. Uh, It's uh, long overdue. So we've just had July sales results, uh, at least among those that announced them, have been announced this week. Let's start with Ford. It's really the outlier. It had a a big jump in year-on-year sales for the second straight month, but it isn't like it's beating Toyota again. Are Ford's good numbers really just a product of how badly the company did a year ago? I'd start first, Jamie. I mean, overall, sales were disappointing yet again. We just didn't have the inventory to sell. But Ford was the bright spot, and it was because it had vehicles to sell. I mean, last year, the comparison was terrible last year. It it had a very bad summer, uh, no supply, but it, you know, this year, Ford has supply, it sells vehicles. I think the lesson is, if you have vehicles, you will sell them, but (laughs) not everybody does. Ain't that the truth? So, you know, GM doesn't report sales monthly. They're uh, one of those that switched to the quarterly, at least to the public and the media, but Um, I've seen some analyst notes that Toyota beat GM for the first time this year. And I'm trying to get a handle on, you know, it's not like Toyota had a great month. I'm wondering how much July's result for GM 
might have been impacted by them trying to clean up how they count their sales, not letting dealers or even rewarding dealers for reporting vehicles as sold before they're actually delivered. That may be because that announcement came in June, right? So um, it, it may be that. You know, we know they've got vehicles sitting on, 95,000 vehicles sitting on lots. Um, and they may have had some production cuts. I can't quite remember. But the other thing I would say about Toyota, though, even though they are low on inventory, they are very efficient in getting it out to their dealers. And they have fewer dealers to get their vehicles hmm. out to. That's true. But they are really uh, struggling compared with last year. This month, they, both brands were down 20%. That's kind of what we've seen through most of the year. They kind of started, you know, they were in good shape for much of last year, kind of fizzled at the end a little. It seems like the plants are running. Uh, you know, they're, they're not idling plants much, at least here in North America, but there just aren't enough vehicles getting out to those dealers. Are they not getting all the imports they usually get from Japan? Is that, is that what's going on? Well, that's what it looks like. Uh, and in fact, I, I read that um, Toyota is actually producing far more vehicles in overseas markets than it ever has compared to uh, in Japan. That's where they're having the most difficulties. And if we look at the vehicles that come from Japan, they're the shortest in supply, you know, especially some of their hybrids. Hybrids are the lowest inventory category and Toyota dominates that category. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely uh, big production problems in Japan. I think there's a lot of sourcing issues they have uh, with some of the smaller Southeast Asian suppliers. You know, they've been hit with COVID and labor shortages. Such a, so, so many challenges. <laughs> so the other company, and maybe this comes to having a lot of similar suppliers, but I mean, Honda, right? They have been down, you know, they're down 40% for the year. They were down 47% in July similar amount in June. Are they just not able to get the chips? It appears that way. And we know the demand for their vehicles is very high. When we look at uh, shopping demand, we have seen shopping for small cars. Who makes those? Honda, Toyota, Hyundai. They're up because, especially because of gas prices. In fact, Honda said to me, you know, high gas prices is a time we should shine. We just don't have the vehicles. And I think what's really interesting for Honda is that it's it's redoing its most important vehicles this year, the ones that make up the bulk of their product line. So I don't quite know how they're going to balance that. That's uh, It's very tricky. How do you launch a new vehicle if you can't really produce them? That's That could be trouble. Uh, it seems like uh, such a lost opportunity. Uh, there was uh, talking to an executive at another brand you know, who's like, gosh, we, you know, we just don't have anything new this year. I'm like, well... This is the year to not have anything new, because even if you have a slightly older model, hey, people people need cars, they'll buy whatever you've got. But if you have all these launch costs for like Honda does, or, you know, every crossover in their lineup, every light truck they have pretty much they're they're pumping them out, they're making new ones, all those expenses. And you just can't, you know, cash in on on having a red hot product. Build them right at a time when everybody wants them because of higher gas prices. It's a bad position to be in. So, right, overall, I mean, they're not the only ones suffering. They may be a little worse than most, but, you know, it's been a rough market. Uh, the July SAR came in about 13.5, 13.5 million, better than the last two months, but, you know, not good. Do you see a path? I mean, when do when might we get back to normal or something like normal, better than a 15 million pace at least? Well, you know, we were so optimistic going into this year. If you look at our charts of where our sales predictions were, 
we've slashed everything out. Uh, you know, we started the year at 16.6. Production, we were sure production ships would get going. We'd be past this, or at least starting to get past it. Change that forecast to 15.5 in uh, March. End of June, still didn't happen. Changed it to 14.4. And here we are again, probably looking at another, lowering, lowering it again. So it's it's really hard to predict because we don't have visibility into the chip situation. I don't think that the automakers do, and certainly their suppliers don't. I was on a panel with the, the head of sales for Magna. He's like, they think they have a week that's smooth. And then Wednesday, they said, oh, we're shutting down. We don't have chips um, or the manufacturer doesn't. So I don't know. And we're getting mixed messages. You know, we'll we'll get a, even Toyota. They'll say, oh, yeah, we're back to normal production. And then you'll see them change their production schedule. So it's really hard to know what's going on. And I'm not sure who does. Do the automakers really know very far ahead what's going on? Yeah, yeah. It seems like the, the key phrase I keep hearing is, well, we're getting better vision. You know, mm-hmm. or they feel like they're getting better clarity, but they don't tell you what they're seeing clearly. Right, right. <laughs> And I don't think, I mean, from the suppliers I spoke to this week, they're not getting any clarity from the automakers on that either, So, which they would like. But the starting and stopping is not good. It's bad for quality. It's bad for costs. It's just not good. So what about the economy generally, right? I mean, we there's a, been a lot of hand-wringing over interest rates uh, rising pretty quickly, Consumer confidence is not great, even though uh, the job market is is hot. Cox Automotive has not been particularly anxious about the economy. It sort of reminded when I heard uh, Subaru this week, you know, with like, hey, what recession? We have 50,000 vehicles on back order. We, we just need to make all that we can. Is that still kind of the Cox view on the economy? Yeah, I mean, we we do not have a recession in our forecast for this year. It's possible there could be one late next year. And, and of course, the, the possibility of that is increasing. However, for the auto industry, we just don't think it, it will have much of an impact. Our feeling is the auto industry has been in a recession in terms of sales for the last three years because they've been suppressed by supply. So we don't see that there will, we still see a lot of demand. We're seeing a lot of shopping on our website, both Auto Trader and Kelly Blue Book. Um, we're seeing this end of July, we saw a lot of credit applications go through. I, you know, what I would say is people are taking themselves out of the line to buy new vehicles. Um, and we may say that increase, you know, we aren't seeing the subprime buyers in the market. They've kind of fallen off the market and the people in the market are, have really strong credit ratings. So yes, they may be paying a little bit more in interest, but not, you know, outrageously. So, so, and their pool of buyers is a much higher uh, demographic uh, in terms of income. Before I let you go, uh, I do want to ask, uh, pick your brain, see if you have any early thoughts on this uh, EV tax credit proposal or whatever kind of incentive it is that uh, the Senate uh, Democrats have tried to to piece together. Do you think that's going to increase demand for EVs? Is it going to complicate <laughs> EVs? In a word, it's complicated because there are income limits and car price limits and uh, limits on sourcing and, uh, you know, uh, criteria for where it's made. I think it's really complex. I appreciate the intention of it that, you know, tax credits don't need to go to the wealthiest people and on the most expensive vehicles. They're really trying to drive EV adoption in that heart of the market. I think the part about sourcing, where the battery components come from, uh, that's going to be a big challenge. I think that's what the automakers are really balking at. But the intent is good. I don't know 
how well it can be executed. You know, we anticipate EV sales will go up anyway. We've been saying that all along. How much tax credits mean, it's hard to say, hard to say. But we do know that price is the number one obstacle to EV adoption. So much to sort out, and we'll see how the the legislation and the regulations uh, that follow it all uh, take shape. And we'll uh, circle back with you to see uh, what you think when it's all all said and done. Michelle Krebs, Executive Analyst at Cox Automotive, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Jamie. Michelle Krebs is Executive Analyst for Cox Automotive. I reached her in suburban Detroit. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. You can get the latest news on earnings, autonomy, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 